0: At the end of the last chapter, the children had found a way to get across the river without walking across the bridge. They had stolen a little dinghy attached to a larger sailboat and used that to sneak across the river, and they had fallen asleep in the woods on the other side, thinking about how they had managed to get so far, and what lay ahead. Morning broke low and cloudy. Streaks of smudged gray clouds covered the sky. It's still true, James said. He looked out over the cemetery, where bright green grass contrasted with the faded marble of tombstones, and the tombstones reflected the cold gray of the sky. Some of them are bent over, James said. I bet they're old, really old, hundreds of years. After breakfast, while Dicey gathered together their litter and packed it into the paper bag to be discarded at the first trash can they saw, the little ones explored the graveyard. Sammy stayed with James because James could read everything to him. Maybeth wandered among the rows, studying the statues of angels and lambs. Dicey had a sudden fear that she had forgotten where they were going, so she recited Aunt Scylla's address to herself, Mrs. Scylla Logan, 1724 Ocean Drive, Bridgeport. She ought to make the others memorize it. She made a mental note to do that as they walked that day. Then she studied the map and admitted that they would have to go back to Route 1, She didn't really want to. She wanted to stay among big houses and tall trees on the shore road that would keep her close to the water. But Route 1 was the shorter way, even though it looped up north of the throughway before entering New Haven. Those decisions made, Dicey went to call the others. They had to start. They had money and a map. Their stomachs were full. It wasn't a bad way to begin. While she waited for Maybeth to return and for James and Sammy to finish working out what was written on a cracked stone that slanted back toward the earth, Dicey looked at the gravestones about her. She read an inscription, Home is the hunter home from the hill, and the sailor, home from the sea. What a thing to put on a grave! As if to say that being dead was home. Home for Dicey was their house in Provincetown, where the wind made the boards creak in a way that was almost music, or Ancilla's big white house that faced over the water, the one she had dreamed about. Being dead wasn't going home, was it? Unless... And she remembered what James had been saying last night. Home was the place where you finally stayed forever and ever. Then this person was home, and nobody would be truly home until he or she died. It was an awful thought. Only living people had homes. That was the difference. If Mamma was dead, where was her grave? what was written on it. Nobody would even know her name or who she was or when she was born. If you took home to mean where you rested content and never wanted to go anywhere else, then Dicey had never had a home. The ocean always made her restless. So even Provincetown, even their own remembered kitchen, wasn't home. That was why Dicey always ran along the sand beside the ocean, as if she had to race the waves. The ocean wasn't home then, and neither was any place else. Nobody could be home, really, until she he was in his grave. Nobody could rest, really, until then. It was a cold, hard thought written on that cold, hard stone, but may be true. If Dicey died, she guessed she wouldn't mind having this poem on her tombstone, now that she thought of it. She was the hunter and the sailor, and she guessed dead people did lie quietly in their graves. James, she said, when he came back, You know what you were saying last night? Yeah. You're pretty smart, Dicey said. I know, he said. A pale sun showed behind the clouds. It looked like there were two layers of clouds now, one layer lower, like a gray veil spread before the other. Where the veil broke, you could see silvery islands of clouds on which tall angels might stand. Not cute little Christmas angels, but high, stern angels in white robes whose faces were sad and serious from being near God all day, and hearing his decisions about the world. Dicey was hypnotized by the molten silver of the cloudy islands, and not until the veil of fuzzy gray blew across it again did she begin their march of the day. Route 1 had not changed in their absence. Stores, shopping centers, garages, furniture outlets, restaurants, quick food stands, The cement procession marched on, broken only by traffic lights dangling from heavy wires over the roadway. Traffic was heavier, and the exhaust and the diesel fumes could not rise into the sky on that first gray day, but hung over everything. Their faces and hands felt grimy all the time. Day by day, their money dwindled away. When she thought back on this part of their journey, Dicey found that she could remember very little of it, that it all blurred together in her memory. All the long days, all the strange nights, they spent the night on a shaly beach, with no shelter and no fire they spent the night in a grove of pines that stood at the entrance to an estate where dicey woke frequently with the fear that they would be discovered by the owners of the big stone house that lay at the end of the driveway they spent the night by the entrance to another state park as Route 1 looped north, they crossed under the thruway and spent a miserable night huddled at the back of a shopping center. They slept sitting together on the concrete walkway against the concrete wall. As they approached the large city of New Haven, the buildings were closer together and there were no more open spaces. In all these days, the sun had come out only twice once for an hour early in the morning and once later in the evening to give them a fine sunset. Slowly, rain had been building. The rain finally began to fall during the night they spent in a tiny playground beside the Branford River. The next day, they spent the last of their money standing in the rain to eat cold doughnuts. The rain continued steady and gentle all that day. Dicey led them under the shelter of an empty car wash for that night and roused them early so they would be gone before anybody arrived to open the business or to wash a car. She roused them early, even though nobody in his right mind would wash his car on a rainy day. You couldn't expect people to act as if they were in their right minds. Dicey was taking no chances. They approached New Haven, and Dicey took out the map, which she carried under her shirt, where the cloth and her arm would protect it. She planned their way through the city. She wanted to get across it before dark. She didn't like cities and didn't want to have to spend the night in one. That they had nothing to eat and no money to buy food with, these facts she refused to think of. They would cross the city first and then get some money. They would cross the city hungry because they had to. James, Maybeth, and Sammy greeted this announcement without a change in expression. They did not speak or sing anymore, just followed Dicey meekly. If she had food to give them, they ate it. If there was no food, then they said nothing. Dicey thought she might prefer to have them complain, but that was another worry she could not deal with until they had crossed the city. That was a worry that went along with the limp James had developed from a lit hole worn into the sole of his left sneaker with the gray under Maybeth's eyes and not having heard her voice for days, with Sammy's new habit of clinging to her hand and doing whatever she told him right away not even the start of a quarrel. James, Maybeth, and Sammy listened quietly while she recited the streets they would take to cross the city. We have to get off Route 1 to cross the river, she said, so we'll follow the train tracks for a while, then take a couple of blocks on a street named Quinnipiac up to Ferry Street. That will take us over one branch of the river. When Ferry meets with Chapel Street, we'll turn left and start walking across the city. We'll go over a river, then by a big college. There, we'll be about halfway. Okay? They nodded. Three pale faces. Then we're going to have to get back to Route One, so we'll turn left onto a cross street to meet up with it. It doesn't matter which street we take. We can follow Route one the rest of the way out of the city. They nodded. Six blank eyes. So let's go, or we won't get across before dark. Dicey walked with Maybeth and Jane and James took Sammy's hand. At first most of the buildings were low, Four or five stories of soiled bricks. They walked beside the railroad tracks and saw only the backs of buildings, houses with no grass in the yards, ripped curtains and dirty windows, fences that looked like some giant rat had been gnawing at them. The empty windows of factories stared down. Rain fell steadily. Sometimes they would glimpse a face through an open window. Most often, except for the people looking out of train windows, they saw no one. They crossed a small river, walking on a narrow, fenced-over walkway that was built to run beside the road. Rain showered down and made miniature puzzles on the turgid river water. Green and oily slime floated on the river and gathered in stringy islands by its banks. Chapel Street was wide, lined with stores, groceries, five and dimes, an occasional movie theater, Army-Navy surplus stores, liquor stores with metal grates across the windows. The street passed a small park before it crossed another river— On the other side of the river, tall modern buildings with whole walls of windows lifted up out above the squat brick constructions. The tillermans walked on over the throughway. They passed hotels clothing stores, jewelers, and bookstores, then old brick churches, with signs out front saying what sermon would be given the next Sunday and a few large old city homes. As evening thickened and lights were turned on, you could see inside where large mirrors hung on ivory-white walls and long curtains framed, polished wood tables." Daisy did not look in the store windows as the others did, or in the windows of the houses. She looked in the unsmiling faces of the people walking past her. Night, hurrying down upon them, was not in their favor, nor was the rain falling steadily. But they were all past hunger, she thought. She knew she wasn't hungry anymore, just tired. It was after ten when they came to the college and the square park that lay at the center of the city, bordered by the college on one side, a chapel on the opposite, and the city on the others. Dicey finally admitted that they would have to sleep the night in the city. This park would have to do, even though it was too open. She chose a cluster of bushes far from any street lamp. Look, You all go in there, she pointed, to a kind of nest made by the low branches of the piney bushes. You curl up there, as covered as you can. I'll stay out here and keep watch. Without a word, they obeyed. The rain pattered down. People (coughs) hurried across the park, their heads bent. Dicey sat on a bench near her family hiding place and looked across the park to a long wall of college dormitories. Some of the windows had lights in them. One had someone sitting in it. Dicey sat and stared into the night without seeing, without thinking. Lights shone all around her. The street light cast puddles of light on the wet sidewalks. The raindrops caught the light from the lamps and glowed, falling like yellow pebbles. Bright red neon light shone hazily on top of a building in the distance. The arch-topped windows of the dormitories showed like yellow cutouts. The water on the roads and sidewalks reflected light with a silvery sheen. Dicey sat and kept the watch three little children, alone in a city, she couldn't sleep. How many more days until Bridgeport and Ancilla's big white house? How would they get money? Why had she thrown away the $20 Sammy found? How would they eat all those days until Bridgeport? How was she going to see to it that they got there when she didn't even know where it was? Dicey thought the rain had grown warm, until a stuffiness in her nose and an ache in her throat, like she was trying to swallow an apple whole, told her she was crying. But she never cried, and now she couldn't stop. She heard footsteps approaching, the first in a long time. Just one person. She bowed her chin down and folded her arms across her chest, trying to look as if she was asleep. She held her breath against a sob that was swelling in her throat, but she kept an eye out. If she needed to, <coughs> she could break and run away from the bushes where her family slept. They all knew Aunt Zilla's address now. Somebody, a man she guessed from his pants, legs, and loafers, sat down at the other end of her bench. His pant legs were wet as if he had been walking for a long time. They clung against his calves. Dicey didn't move. But the sob moved. It swelled up and broke through her clenched teeth. Dicey's panicked eyes moved to the face of the person beside her. He had turned to look at her, He was young. He wore a yellow raincoat and his hands were jammed into the pockets. In the dim light, his eyes were dark and serious. His hair was plastered down over his forehead. When he spoke, his voice was flat. You looked like a girl crying. I thought you were a girl crying. Can I help? Dicey bit her lip and shook her head. You lost? Dicey shook her head again. Okay, he seemed to believe her. Can you walk home from here? This made Dicey feel like smiling, but not from laughter. She shook her head. Cat got your tongue? Nope. Okay, I'll tell you what I think. I think you don't have a place to sleep. You're probably hungry, you're frightened and worried, and you don't want to tell me anything. So far, am I right? Yeah. He shifted on the bench and turned to face Dicey. Okay, now, you don't have to believe this, but you can trust me. I've been in your kind of a jam myself more than once. <coughs> if it helps, I'm studying at the college, if that tells you anything about me. Schools are closed in summer. Not colleges. They have summer session. I'm taking a geology course because I flunked it this year, and I have to pass it to graduate. I want to graduate next June. You don't sound stupid, Dicey said. Oh, I'm not. I just didn't work at it, so it's my own fault. Look, I have an idea for you. Yeah? Yeah. Don't say no right away, okay? Okay. Why don't you come with me and get some food and camp out in my rooms tonight? It's better than the green. It's dry at least. I've got a roommate, so you won't have to worry about being alone with me. I've got roommates too, Dicey said. He smiled. No three. Over there. He looked at her carefully. Okay, then we'll all go. All your age? No younger. They're my brothers and my sister. His jaw fell a little, and then he pulled it up sharply. His eyebrows twitched, as if he were keeping them from shooting up in surprise. Will wonders never cease, he asked. He stood up briskly. Let's see the worst. I've made up my mind anyway, and I guess four kids can sleep on our floor. You've made up your mind to trust me, haven't you? I'm afraid so, Dicey said. That made him laugh, but she didn't know why. Wait here, she said. He stood absolutely still, as if to show that he would do exactly what she told him, and a smile played around his lips. He wasn't serious. He was teasing her. Dicey looked up at him through the rainy light, still trying to decide. He made his mouth still, And then she nodded at him. Okay, she said, but we don't have any money. I do, he said. Dicey roused her family. They woke easily, even Sammy, who usually slept deeply. They rose up out of the bushes. Maybeth first, then James, then Sammy. Their eyes were surprised, but they didn't question her. She felt suddenly very sorry for them. She wondered if she had done the right thing when she began this whole journey. Was she doing the right thing now? With one arm around Maybeth's shoulders, holding Sammy's hand tight, Dicey led her family back to where the young man stood waiting, James tagged behind, limping slightly. The smile went out of the young man's eyes when he saw them. Dicey was briefly worried, but he crouched down on his heels, ignoring the puddles, and looked up at them all. You don't have to feel sorry for us, Dicey said. You can back out. Not on your life. That's not it. I'm curious, intensely curious about you. What are your names? Mine's Windy. Well, Windy's what they call me here because they say I talk too much. How did you get here? Where are your parents? Are you hungry? Yes, Sammy said fiercely. When's the last time you ate? Yesterday, I think, Dicey said. Then what are we hanging around here for, the young man asked. He stood up and took James's hand. James was too tired to protest this extraordinary gesture. I know just the place, Wendy said. He led them to one of the city sides of the green and into a small diner that had a long counter and four booths. The clock read one thirty. Windy herded them into a booth, then brought over menus. He called the waitress before they had even opened the menus and ordered each of them a large glass of milk. He asked for a cup of coffee for himself. Daisy could barely see the words and prices. Food smells filled the diner, and she was out of the rain. It was warm and bright. The words on the menu swam before her eyes. She looked at the rescuer. He sat with James beside him. He had dark, curly hair and a black mustache and black eyebrows that moved up and down or wrinkled as if they had a life all their own. Who'd believe this, he asked, meeting Dicey's eyes. I ask you, the waitress put his coffee down before him and gave, gave each child a tall glass of milk. You want straws? Dicey shook her head and grabbed for the glass. They drank in large gulps at first, and then, when their stomachs had welcomed the first eager swallows, more slowly. All four glasses were empty when the children put them down. What can I get you? The waitress asked. Windy looked at them. They had forgotten the menus. He grinned, four hamburgers. No, make that eight. Four large orders of fries. That's all for now, but we'll probably have dessert. Do you have any apple pie? Yeah. Give me a piece of pie now, please, he said, and save four pieces for the kids. She shuffled away, "'writing on her order pad. "'Is that okay?' Windy asked, I see. "'We can change it if it's not okay. "'It wouldn't be any trouble, "'but I thought maybe it would be hard for you to decide, "'and the little one doesn't look old enough to read yet.' "'I can, too,' Sammy said. "'Apologies for insulting you,' Windy said, "'and his eyebrows waggled as if they were laughing. "'I wanted hamburgers,' Sammy said.' Anyway, and French fries, that's what I wanted. Ah, Wendy said, and what is your name? Sammy looked at Dicey. She nodded. Sammy, he said, how old are you? Six, how old are you? Twenty-one, really very old. Dicey remembered her manners. It was easy to remember manners with milk in her stomach and food on the way. I'm Dicey, and this is Maybeth, and that's James, she answered the question in his eyes before he asked it. I'm 13, Maybeth is 9, James is 10. His dark eyes studied her. I once ran away when I was James's age, he said. He told him a long story about running away one morning when he was afraid to go to school because he was short. And skinny, and somebody was waiting there to beat him up. In the middle of the story, their food was set before them. Dicey stopped listening. Windy could eat and talk at the same time, but the tillermans ate in absolute silence, in huge bites, barely tasting what they chewed before they swallowed. They all had apple pie for dessert. Throughout the meal, Windy's voice blew over them, smooth and steady. It didn't matter what he was saying. Windy paid the bill and left the dollar on the table for the waitress. Dicey warmed from within, tried to thank him, but he shrugged it off. He took them back to the green, saying he wished he could stop the rain because he, for one, had had enough of it, and he suspected they had too. He led them across the green to the long dormitory building. There the hallways were narrow and brown like tunnels. They climbed up four flights of stairs, twisted past closed doors. Finally, Windy threw open a door and ushered them into a room. It was a mess ashtrays overflowed with cigarette ashes and butts. A newspaper had been left scattered on the floor around one armchair. Books were piled on the three desks and on the low table before the sofa and along the mantelpiece. Beer cans lay around a wastebasket that was so full it looked as if it wanted to erupt like a volcano and spew trash all over the room. It was warm and messy and comfortable and filled with yellow light. Outside, dark rain fell, but they were inside. Windy went through a door and turned on a light in the next room. Dicey caught a glimpse of bunk beds and dressers. He returned with an armload of clothing, mostly t-shirts and sweatshirts. The bathroom's through that door, he pointed to the door beside the one they'd entered through. Go get off your wet clothes and put some of these on. I guess you might want to go to the bathroom, too. I do, Sammy said, so definitely that Dicey smiled. Meanwhile, I'll see if anyone's around. When they had gone to the bathroom, they covered themselves with Wendy's dry sheets dry shirts, sorry, which, if none too fresh, were dry and warm. They hung their own clothes on the towel racks to dry. Dicey washed out all of their underwear, using the cake of soap on the sink. They returned to the living room. Windy waited there, and another young man was with him. "'Stewart,' Windy said, "'let me introduce my findlings.' He remembered all of their names and ages. This is Stuart, my roommate, he said. Stuart smoked on his pipe and looked at them. He was tall, taller than Wendy, and skinny like Wendy. He had blonde hair, so pale it was almost white, hanging fine and straight down to his ears. He had a strong, square jaw and a mustache as blonde as the hair on his head. His eyes as he looked at the Tillermans, might have been gray or blue. Dicey couldn't decide which. It was as if his eyes changed back and forth between gray and blue, but she wasn't sure if that was possible. "'What's going on?' he asked Wendy. "'I found them, as I said.' Dicey first and then the others. They need a place to sleep, and it's raining cats and dogs, and mice and pterodactyls, and God knows what else out there. So I thought to myself, why not here with us? Stuart smiled quietly. Why not, indeed? I'll come in with you, and they can have my bunks. James grinned at Dicey. Real beds. Stuart took them into his room. He cleared books and papers off the top bunk, and James climbed up onto it. Sammy and Mabeth lay down on opposite ends of the bottom bunk. Dicey thought they looked like two little dolls in a dollhouse lying there. James was half asleep before she turned out the light and closed the door behind her. She thought she would go back and sleep on the floor in that room, but Wendy said she should take the sofa in the living room for her bed. He brought a pillow and blanket from his own room. What do I need those for? Dicey asked. You keep them. I'll be fine. Wendy passed her the armload of linen. Go ahead. Live it up. I can do without for one night. You can do without, Stuart said. Listen, he took them off the bed where I'm going to sleep, and if you really don't want them, I'd be glad to have them. Dicey passed them over. Can we take a little talk a little before you go to sleep, Dicey? Wendy asked. Are you too tired? Dicey was so comfortable that she would have been glad to talk all night. She didn't want to go to sleep because then she wouldn't be able to enjoy being comfortable. But she wasn't sure she wanted to answer any questions. She was too brain tired to be as careful as she ought. They all sat down. Dicey sat alone in the middle of the sofa and the young men took two armchairs. Stewart started. Wendy says you're not lost. No, I know where we are. A fundamentalist, Windy said to Stuart. His eyebrows moved. He asked Dicey, what about your family? Do they know where you are? Dicey shook. Dicey shook her head. But that doesn't matter. Why not, Windy asked. Dicey didn't answer that. Are you in trouble, Windy asked. I don't think so, Dicey said. I hope not. Okay, Wendy said. He leaned forward and rested his chin on his hands. His eyebrows were temporarily still. What will you tell us? We'd like to help if we can. Do you believe that? Yeah, Dicey said. Yeah, I do. She thought, I mean, you already did, didn't you? How about your parents? Stuart asked. He was resting his head against the back of the chair, looking at her. It, was that, it wasn't that—it was that she couldn't lie to him. She could lie to anyone and make it good, if she had to. She'd certainly discovered that. But she didn't want to, not to him or to Wendy. She wasn't going to lie to them, she decided. We don't have parents. We're on our own, she said. Stuart's eyes did not change, but waited, quiet as water. Wait a minute, Dicey said. Let me think a minute, okay? He nodded. We come from Provincetown in Massachusetts, on the Cape. He nodded his head just a little. She heard Wendy swallow back a question. My father walked out on us when I was about seven, just before Sammy was born. We were okay until lately when things happened wrong. My mother lost her job and things. So she told us we were going to Bridgeport where she has an aunt and we all packed into our car. Stuart held her eyes with his. We were in Pewocket and she left us to wait in the car while she went into a big mall. But she didn't come out and she couldn't find her. So and we couldn't find her. So I decided that we should go ahead to Bridgeport and hope she'll meet us there. Stuart asked, How long did you wait for her? All day and all night, Dicey said. We waited in the car. She didn't come back. I'm hoping. uh, I don't know. The only place I know she might be is Bridgeport. What if she isn't there, Wendy asked. There's this Aunt Scylla, Dicey explained. Do you know her? Stuart asked. No, but she sends us cards every Christmas. You didn't ask anyone for help? Stuart asked. The police? Dicey shook her head firmly. I don't know for sure what they would do. They might send us to a foster home or split us up. I don't know what mama... She didn't say anything. She just disappeared. I have no idea what happened. No idea. I couldn't risk telling the police. And that's all true, Dicey said. How long ago was this? Wendy asked. In June, maybe two weeks, maybe three. And you've been walking from Peewalket all this time? We stayed at a park once. The little kids can't go very fast. Is that all you want to tell, Wendy asked? Please, Dicey answered. He nodded his head and his eyebrows arched as he smiled at her. Then I say we get some sleep. What do you say, Stu? Just thinking about all that walking makes me tired, Stuart said. You okay here, Dicey? Wendy asked. Dicey nodded. She hoped she hadn't made a mistake in telling them. Wendy turned off the lights, and Dicey stretched out on the sofa. She didn't even hear the door close behind them.